Hello, and welcome back to 30 minutes or so of my mind. Now, today's topic, I know last time it was about putting things according to plan or not quite making it there and what to do about that, but today I kind of want to make a parallel to that where it's not necessarily the idea of plans, but it's more the idea of challenges, challenging yourself, challenging others, stepping up to a challenge once it's presented and the ways that I've done that, my experiences with it, as well as speculations on how I'd like to do it, but not necessarily have had the chance to. Now, when people think of a challenge, they often take it as a, well, I want to say challenge or dare or something along those lines. They view it more as an affront to their person, uh, something to step up to, to rise to. Um, It's never really something that you are already doing. It's something beyond that often. And for me, when I hear the word challenge, it's more of a someone or something or even myself is suggesting that it's something currently out of my reach, but it's still reachable. So it's, it's dangling the carrot, but not in a way that you'll never get to it. Because I know I had talked about in my plan video and others that I want to run a marathon by the end of the year, or I will be running one. And whether or not my training allows me to be successful in where I want to be with my plan, that's where it becomes a challenge. Because... If I were able to just easily run whatever time or I I set the benchmark for my target time too low, it's not really a challenge. It's more of a chore in my book. It's something to do. Whereas a challenge is more than that, but it's also still completely conceivable that you one would be able to reach it. Um, so a challenge would not be oh, I want to be on the moon by the end of the year. That's not a challenge. I'm not an astronaut, astrophysicist, scientist, or any of that. It'd be great. I'd love to go to space, but I have no training for that, and it would be completely unrealistic to call it a challenge for myself to go to space. Whereas to run a marathon in three hours and 45 minutes, although it's incredibly aggressive, it's still attainable. that's where I really believe a challenge is separated from a dream or an ideal. Because ideals or fantasies can be whatever you want. It's your perfect scenario. And like I said in the plan video, perfection is almost impossible to reach or is implied there. Whereas a challenge, it's very manageable, or not necessarily very manageable, it's all, it will be very difficult because that's what makes it a challenge, something to step up to, to go beyond for, but it's not out of reach. It's not a thousand foot cliff that someone with no ability to climb needs to get over. It's a steep hill that with enough effort you should be able to conquer. Now, the steepness of that hill is to each their own. 
because who knows someone might be an expert climber and that that steep hill might as well be a cliff and they'll still get over it I mean it could be inverted (laughs) they could be going almost upside down as they go up that thing but they'll still find a way but some people that hill is a slight incline it's a ramp because challenges don't have to put you at your wits end by the end of them they can be something just achieving a next step changing your diet a lot of people especially these days a lot of coworkers i've met they come to me for advice on diets and one of the things i always tell them is you need to find what works for your body because They always see me eating healthy. I have prepped out meals for the day. I eat at specific times, specific foods with almost the identical calorie intake every day. And they ask how I do it, how it doesn't get boring. And it's one of those things where it's a mix between budget and knowing what my body needs to be successful for my challenges. The diet itself is a challenge. I know a lot of people that are trying to lose weight or cut certain foods out of their diet, which I have done in the past. I almost never eat sweets. I don't drink soda, things like that. And a lot of people I see, they're like, oh, I want to do that, but I just can't yet. And that's where maybe a ramp. So instead of a steep drop off, just cutting cold turkey, maybe instead of a glass or a can or a bottle of soda every day, you go to one every other day or maybe start at five a week. You slowly wean off that. And that goes for any part of the diet. Um, Some people, vegan, vegetarian, they go from meat to none. They can quit cold turkey, some can't. People in rehab from cigarette or nicotine, it takes a minute or it takes a while I say minute figuratively as a period of time but you can't just quit smoking or alcoholism or these things overnight and if you do you go through something called withdrawal because when your body gets used to something when your mind gets used to something if you remove that without any form of replacement or any easing um it's going to cause problems. Your body isn't, our bodies aren't meant to handle that. Now, me on the other hand, I'm going through something right now with my running training called runner's knee. Runner's knee is caused by when you try to do too much too soon when you're training. So I've recently upped my mileage every week by about three to four, sometimes even five miles extra every week right now because. I'm on a time crunch, so I'm trying to get as ready as I can as soon as I can, and it's biting me a little bit right now where I'm having some minor setbacks, or I can run fine, but then the rest of my life outside of running, I'm in a constant state of soreness and pain. And although with runner's knee there is no physical damage, there's still a lot of discomfort. And that's caused by me rushing into that cliff without the proper gear or the proper preparation I should say not gear but I'm trying to shoot for the moon when I haven't even finished a college physics course that's probably the best way I can put it but as a person I take challenges and pushing the bar very seriously 
and oftentimes can be almost self-destructive. And I know that's a problem that I have, but I'm willing to share that and willing to offer support for others who have a similar problem. When I see something, I see that challenge or whatever as a competition. That's how everything comes into my mind. A challenge, be it personal or even from someone else, I always take it as a competition against myself or anyone else involved with it. It's, I'm a very competitive person is the basic of what I'm getting at. And I know a lot of people that aren't, but they still want to find a way, hey, how can I rise up to certain challenges? And that's where people are unique and they find their own ways to do so. Because challenges and rising to them equates to motivation, desire even. If you have no desire to do something, if the people at my work don't really want to lose weight or diet, they just want to look good to other people, they're not going to have that desire to change. And no matter what I'm going to tell them, they're not necessarily going to be that successful because it's more about a, eh, they want me to do it or I'm only doing it to show off or for something else. It's not for actual self-gain. There's nothing to be had with it. They're just doing it out of obligation. And that's often when challenges go unmet or uncompleted. It's a sense of it being a chore, an obligation, something negative, that negative emotions. Going back to the positive mental attitude video, uh, or podcast, I should say, the idea that if you have literally nothing driving you forward, you're not going to succeed. There's nothing left to do it. But as long as you want to do it, even for the smallest bit for yourself or for a cause, then it's definitely possible. And challenges are, or the bars we set for challenges to reach, to exceed, they're all in the mind. Because you could say, your boss could say, hey, I want to challenge you to meet these sales goals for the next three months. Okay, yes, he did challenge you to do that. He gave you a benchmark. Um, whether or not you want to reach that is up to you. If you want to meet that sales goal, if you, if you want to make your boss happy or you want to meet the expectations he sets for you, that's a personal desire to do so. If you don't want to meet them and you think it's just a chore, yeah, you're going to sell out of a feeling of necessity or obligation but you're a lot less likely to actually meet that goal because you see it as just, or that challenge, because you see it as just another thing you have to do in your day. It's, it's nothing special. It's just, oh no, my boss wants more out of me. I guess I need this job. And that's where you'll get burned out and, or you'll want to quit or even just give up at some point. You get to a point where you weren't motivated to make those sales. You weren't pushing a positive attitude towards the person you're trying to sell to. They don't want to buy it because you don't seem into it. And then the deadline is coming up and you're way too deep and there's no way to get out. And that's where you, you get those panicked feelings or more negative set in. You feel like that challenge becomes getting to the moon. And that's the hard part about challenges is where do you draw the line between 
a downhill slope or which is that even a challenge just sliding down a slope some people might say yeah because you're still moving forward but if you set those challenges too easily when you eventually get to the point where you're even going uphill a little bit it's gonna be a lot harder no matter how slight that uphill might be heck even going on flat ground at that point in that analogy might be hard because you're so used to sliding down that hill so I want to parallel it to those SMART goals, whereas SMART goals, you can make them super easy to the point where you just get them on the regular, it's part of your natural business, but the point of making a goal or a challenge isn't just to have them completed, it's to challenge yourself to grow as you work to complete that challenge. And that's one of those things I like to propose to people where they come to me for advice. And that advice isn't just going to be giving them the answer. It's asking them questions until they find the answer for themselves. Because if I just push you up that hill the whole way, you get to the top and you say, hey, I did it. But are you really the better? If you're sitting on someone's back or someone is carrying you up that hill the entire way and they just drop you off at the top without you doing any of the legwork, Sure, the challenge was completed. You reached the goal. But does that make you any better than you were before you started? I would argue no. Whereas, yes, you did reach the goal. You reached that endpoint. But you didn't gain anything from it, really, because if I put you at the bottom of that same hill and said, now do it again, without any help, Well, you don't know how to climb that hill. You don't know how steep it really is because you were carried the whole way. And that's where, especially with training, because in my job I have to train people and they say, well, help me out with this answer. I don't know it. It's not immediately, well, this is the answer and this is why. It's, well, what does this answer mean or what does this do? Because I work in the car wash industry. Um, part of that is training people how to guide cars into, into the car wash tunnel and knowing what parts of the car wash you have to retract or take off depending on certain cars that go through. So certain parts of a car, the little cloth things that go side or up and down, you have to move those away if, say, there's an antenna. Or if someone has one of those convertible cars with the soft uh, cloth roof... You don't want to blast a pressure washer from above or it's going to shoot right through it and give someone a shower while they're in the car wash and nobody wants that. So they have to know when to stop these parts of the machine from touching the cars or going on the cars. And when they take these quizzes, I'm there as a trainer helping them do it, but when they have to take their quiz and they're stuck on a question and they just look at you like, hey, what's the answer? Help me out here. It's more of, instead of, hey, this is what it is, because they need to know this, it's, well, what does the part on answer A do? So what does this part do? And then answer, if they tell you, if they know, they'll tell you, they're like, okay, well, how would that part have a chance of damaging whatever you're looking at here? If it doesn't have a chance of damaging it, or it's neutral, you're fine. Move on to the next answer and do the same process. 
It's the idea of thinking through what you do know to find out what you don't. And that's where helping them rise to the challenge of not being 100% sure of what they're doing versus, yeah, I can get you, get, I can give you an easy 100 on this test, but then when you get into the real world where instead of that small hill of being on a computer test is you're in charge of thousands of dollars worth of cars and potential damages, that hill gets a lot steeper and a lot more punishing. So you don't want to take someone from the bunny hill and constantly drive them up the bunny hill and then throw them on a double black diamond and say, well, hope you learned. Because that's not giving someone a challenge, that's setting someone up for failure. And those are two very different things that I've had experience with both of. Because as a person, when I learn a new skill set or get trained in a new position, my favorite way to be trained and the way I do best at is often trial by fire. It's, I don't sit well in front of a computer and memorize things. I am hands-on. You throw me into a, when I was building shipping crates for a while. Um, it's not like Ikea where they tell you step-by-step. Step. You have a picture of whatever part of the crate you're doing and the parts in a pile and they say, well, good luck. Is a picture with measurements and some parts. That's all you get. There's no do this part first. It's you figure it out. You better know what parts to go first off of looking at that picture. And you have to jigsaw puzzle that thing together. But I learned very well that way and you it allows you to create your own processes and do it in a unique way. One time that that didn't work for me though, because that was a challenge, but when you're building something, the cool thing about a lot of things is you can retry on building something. But one thing you can't retry is using your time to either teach another person or uh, provide support. And another job I've had was teaching middle school science. Now, I do not have a teaching license. So when I went from the manufacturing world to... When I went from the manufacturing world, sorry, I had to honk, someone was backing up and almost into me. But when I was in the manufacturing world, it's not that bad. I switched over to the teaching world. And because my whole family was in teaching. And I got a job at a small choice school, which is like a charter school in the inner city of Milwaukee. Now, I loved my time there, but, and don't get me wrong, it was fantastic, the experience, but I was so ill-prepared and not given any resources as I went into that, that it was probably the most stressful situation of my entire life. Um, I showed up and interviewed for about a week. I had a couple interviews with them. And then they brought me in on a Friday afternoon to shadow a little bit and see the classroom. Okay, everything was fine. I met a couple of the kids. It was all good. And then they said, okay, you're starting on Tuesday. Here's a pile of textbooks. They have not had a dedicated teacher in the classroom for two and a half months. So they're going to be rowdy. They don't know what's going on. Most of them are 
three years behind in school. And yeah, good luck. We have no teaching plan set out for you. It's up to you to figure it out in the next two days. Or three days. Yeah, a guy with no teaching experience other than what his family has told him is put into a subject that he's not the best... Because I hadn't taken a science class in a long time. I had my college degree, but it was in business. And I was a mathematics guy, not a science guy. But I had a basic understanding of that stuff since I did. I took middle school science, so how hard could it be to relearn it and teach it? Which it, it ne- wasn't necessarily hard to relearn it to teach it. It was more of being able to successfully engage other students in learning that material because since I was so busy relearning and trying to prep for things it was leaving me sorry about that loud car if if you could hear that but it was not it was more of there was so much prepping and relearning that I wasn't able to make it enjoyable for all of my students Um, Some were very engaged and loved it and tried their best. But they were also really good kids. They were, I wouldn't say it was pity, but it was more of they liked me, so they worked hard for me because they knew I was trying. I I tried. Others, they had the mentality of school is not the biggest thing in my life right now. I've got much more worrisome things, much more on my plate. I'm taking care of six siblings, this, that, and the other thing, especially going into COVID, that science class with this goofball who's never taught before is not my priority. And it made the classroom management very difficult. I had to call resource officers in for help very often. And it was definitely incredibly stressful. I lost my voice within two weeks of starting. I had my first anxiety attack in two and a half years where I used to be the cool teacher that would let kids up in my classroom during lunch because they didn't want to be in the rowdy lunchroom. So they'd come up to my classroom, they'd either read or just chill out, and it was fine. But on that day, I was like, listen, guys, I can't have you up here because I'm cleaning up after the class left, putting their Chromebooks away and all that, and my hands are just shaking. I can barely hold on to the Chromebooks. I'm just hoping to get stuff in. And a kid walks in and starts talking. And I, my entire brain goes blank. And I go, listen, I can't have you in here. I just need a moment. I need this half hour for me because I need to be able to teach in a half hour. And right now, I can barely speak. I can barely move. I'm trying. I've got no motor skills at this point. Um... And yeah, it was definitely incredibly stressful because I like things fairly orderly. I like a system. There was no system there. It was pure unbridled chaos for the most part, especially in my younger classroom. So my um, the way to dif- differentiate the kids at that school were the sixth graders had way too much energy. They just wouldn't stop bouncing off the walls, and I had them right after lunch, which did not help. The seventh graders were the ones who, it was a mix. So some of them had that bouncy energy, but and some of them were nice, but some of them were getting that kind of, I'm better than you vibe, or they were kind of getting that rebellious phase. And then you get the eighth graders who were, 
they were done. It was that senioritis idea of, I'm almost out of here. I'm never going to have to deal with middle school again. I'm the cool kid. Um, so why does this matter to me? Because what are you going to do, fail me and hold me back in middle school? No, I'm going to be a high schooler next year. And those were the personalities I had to deal with. And as the classes would come in and out, you get those changes in that. But even trying to prep for it every day was so different with the new problems or the old old problems coming back to light. And it was just a very stressful environment that I had no preparation for and really no um, assistance with outside of a resource officer that would just come in the room and stand there until people would be quiet. But it was probably my favorite experience post-graduation before I moved back down to Florida. Because no matter how exhausted, how exacerbated I was at the end of every day, I wanted to go back the next morning. I, I never woke up not wanting to go back into school. At the end of it, I tried getting my license. I made it a challenge to get my license by the next school year. I didn't meet that challenge. I fell out of love with that career path due to some external factors. But that's an example of a challenge that I tried to rise to, wasn't completely successful on. Did I make it out of that school year? Yes. Did I get my license and continue on with the profession? No. But I also realized that my personality type would not be the best suited for that. No matter how calm, I love counseling. I love almost therapy-like. I like hearing myself talk, and I like talking to others. I like hearing myself talk is what I say because I understand that I talk a little bit too much sometimes. And I know I have a lot to say, but sometimes I need to control that. And that's a challenge I have for myself. And another challenge I have is my cadence. Now, on the earlier episodes, I don't know if some noticed this or not. And sometimes, even in like this episode, at points I've noticed I start speaking too fast. And I have to actively tell myself when I catch this that, hey, you're talking too fast, you need to slow down because the information you're trying to get across is going to be lost. It's not going to be nearly as effective as if you slow down and you speak clearly. Now, will that mean I will always be speaking clearly or always understood? No. Because I also know that I have a habit of speaking in a slightly different way where it's harder to understand. But all these things that I'm trying to fix and things I've had previously in my life are all challenges. They were little hills I had to cross, no matter how steep or how shallow. When I was in high school, I wanted to be more successful at sports, but I was not really that athletic. So I had to work really hard to just maintain what I had versus building on more. And that's true even today, where yes, I'm making pretty successful attempts at getting better at running, 
but there's a cost to it. Like my runner's knee and all that. It's not something I can just push through sometimes. Um, getting more comfortable around others. I used to be a super introvert that would just sit in the basement on video games every single night where I wouldn't do homework. I'd just get home. I wouldn't go to friends' houses after school or sports or whatever. I would just go home and sit in the basement all day unless my family needed me to do chores. I didn't talk to many people unless it was over a video call or a voice chat. And although at school sometimes I did have different friend groups, I was never really truly close with many of them. Um, And that's one thing I had to work on as I went to a group therapy for a bit. My parents got me in that. I thank them for that because that experience where I felt I was lost, I couldn't really make friends... I don't want to say I met others that had a harder time, but it was definitely an experience where I saw that although I might not feel like it's a strength for me, there are other people that I can help strengthen because there are others like me that have similar issues and potentially even worse in that same regard, and I can help them. And I would go to my dad's school that he was a superintendent of when I was in high school. And I'd sit down with middle schoolers that had similar experiences of anti-socialist or outcast almost. And I would just sit and let them talk about their hobbies, their interests. Because one thing I realized was I had no one to truly share and vent my hobbies and interests to. And that's why I felt alone, because no one in my family had common interests. So I couldn't rely on them. And I didn't really have a friend outlet outside of video games. So I became that outlet for others. And through that, I found the joy in that counseling, that sitting down and just talking with people. And then I also got into public speaking, acting. Um, I always had a horrible stage fright. I still do with singing. But with the acting portion, I love to be in the spotlight now. I like to be front and center. I like people to look at me and hear me. Whereas before, I'd be quiet, conservative. I didn't want people to hear my voice. People would tell me, hey, you've got a nice voice. Do this, do that. But I would just clam up because I'm like, no, this person is better than me. Just just let them do it. And that was a chal- these challenges are all things I've overcome to become more comfortable with who I am. Um, My current challenges, yes, I have the marathon. Growing in my career, getting to that public speaking. All of these things are possible. Um, But one of the things that is a very high hurdle for me, it's a very steep hill, is I also have the issue of body dysmorphia. And one of my challenges, and that's what's nice about the marathon, is it's really helping me with... I have specific dieting now and plans where although my body may go through some days where it might not look perfect, I know that that's part of my process getting towards a goal of the time I want to get at the end of the year. It's not necessarily so much about me going to the gym and trying to look as perfect as I can and sometimes unhealthily so because I have a very unhealthy amount of body fat 
my body fat percentage is ridiculously low because I'm afraid of letting it go up. It's at like 4 or 5% at max. Like on a bad day, it's at 5%, which is horribly low. But if I even let it go up above 5 maybe to 6%, I'll look in the mirror and feel like I'm fat. And that's something I live with and have to try to get over. But it's definitely something that maybe one day with the right support I can. It's not impossible. And that's one of those things I want to leave today on is we need to, or you, I, we all need to find our hills that we need to climb. And we need to look for a way to climb it on our own. Even if you have assistance, if you have someone to walk there with you, to lean on their shoulder when you're tired, um, someone that will hold your hand as you do it. Because when you're going through something, if someone's holding your hand, that's fine as long as they're not carrying you because you need to get the experience of finishing it for yourself. So there's no problem with having another person or a crutch to help you. As long as you reach that goal on your own ability, I don't want to say on your own two feet because there are people out there that, hey, they can't do something on their own two feet. But you know what they can do? They can get over that hill in their own way. It's not about, and I know some people say, well, it's figure of speech, get there on your own two feet, but I just want to be inclusive because I know some people that have those issues and they are some of the hardest working people I've met in my life. So I want to include them. And I want to leave it on that where no matter what challenge or hill, I don't care how steep it is or how flat, how even downhill it might be. As long as you're moving forward, I know I contradict myself when I say that, but some people when they're running or walking, they can't really walk on a flat surface. They can't walk uphill. They need to start downhill and slowly flatten it out. Then they can start going up because if someone's sliding in a bad, they're in a really bad rut, bad streak, and they have no motivation, sometimes they just need a push to go in the right direction downhill. Just make sure they don't snowball down that hill. Be that hand that they can hold. Be that shoulder they can lean on. And don't neglect your own hills. Get over your own hills, even if you're helping another over theirs. That's all I have to say for today. I hope I said something that either struck a chord or even motivated you, created that desire to get over your own hill. And I will see you, talk to you, hear you. I don't know, but I thank you for any way that you are taking in this podcast or sharing it. And I will see you in the next one.